This is a Cherish podcast, and I'm your host, Michael Boudreau. I'll be taking you for an inside look behind the glamorous facade of the interior design industry. At a time when every aspect of the business, from sourcing to trends to marketing to dealing with clients, is undergoing rapid change. Toronto is one of the fastest growing cities in North America and one of the most stylish. Due to its unusual topography, the city incorporates both a vibrant downtown of gleaming towers and townhouses, and only minutes away, distinct neighborhoods of wide streets, expansive elegant houses, and wooded enclaves. I'm fortunate to have with me today three of the city's most talented designers, who working in a range of styles have made Toronto a design standout. They understand the unique challenges of working in Canada, from import duties to pricing to shipping issues. And because all three work around the world, they know the important differences in working in Canada versus the United States and Europe. Colette van de Tillart founded her firm after 13 years in the UK as the creative director of designer Nikki Haslam's legendary firm. Her work is plush, layered, and disciplined, with a refined use of pattern and color, yet always supremely comfortable. She has been featured in numerous magazines, including Architectural Digest and World of Interiors. In addition to her work in Canada, she has completed projects in England, the Caribbean, Denmark, and Ireland. Hello, Colette. Hello. Good to be here, Michael. Thanks for being here. For more than 25 years, Cynthia Ferguson has been creating fearless, boldly colored rooms that demonstrate her skill at mixing patterns and saturated hues. Her layered interiors always reflect her clients' personalities, needs, and lifestyles while showcasing her signature exuberance. Welcome, Cynthia. Hi, Michael. Thanks for having me. So glad you're here. After majoring in the history of architecture and fine arts at the University of Toronto, Louise McDonald studied environmental design at the Ontario College of Art and Design. Her tailored, traditional, and elegantly detailed rooms always reflect her knowledge of and love for classical design and are always serene and beautifully detailed. Hello, Louise. Hi, pleasure to be here. So glad you're here. So I wanted to get started with why Toronto has become such a hot city to live in? Why is it so desirable to live there? We won't just say that Americans want to live there to escape all the political chaos in this country, but it is really a beautiful city. I haven't been in a few years, but it's a beautiful city. But I wanted to get a sense why you think it's so popular and how it has changed in, in the last few years. Cynthia, why don't we start with you? Sure. I think that Toronto is often referred to as New York City of the North. We have so many amenities from theater to shopping to parks to recreation to the art scene, the history. I think that truly, as the largest city in Canada, the offerings here are so phenomenal that it's easy to get around, easy to immerse yourself in culture. And every neighborhood here has its own aesthetic, its own vibrancy, its own colorfulness. You can go and have incredible food in every neighborhood from around the world. And it really creates an experience in the city. On top of the fact that it happens to be extremely safe and is touted as being so clean, it's a pleasure to be able to get around. But there's such an influx as well of new Canadians that the immigration here, it makes it even more interesting. We really, truly are a melting pot, and that's what makes it so exciting. So interesting. Now, Colette, how long have you lived in Toronto? How many years ago did you move back from England? Well, Toronto's home. I mean, I grew up there, and I've been back uh, 11 years. 11 years. Okay. 
Yeah. So, and it's very different from the city I left. In what ways? There's just been um, so, there was so much development in the years that I was gone, you know, some for the better and some maybe not so much for the better. So I think psychologically it's the same city. We are just, I hate to say it, but we are just so damn nice. (laughs) The cliche is true, right? (laughs) It's totally true. It is still the same wonderful city to live in. And we haven't lost, as Cynthia was saying, our delicious villages of little Portugal and little Italy and all those interesting and charming things that make our city so special. But but it's also grown a ton in terms of density and architecturally and development-wise. Yeah. Louise, you've lived in Toronto for quite a while. Yeah, my whole life. Yeah. Okay. So that's a little bit of a while. Yeah. So... How do you think the city has improved and what do you think of maybe something that it hasn't improved over the years? Well, I think, you know, we really see a big influx now of the transportation developing. And that was something that they held back on, I think, way too long, which was, I think, difficult for people to see this as an international city because it was harder to get around. But now I think with the influx of, you know, a huge amount of immigration, it's so needed. And I think that's what's tying all of our neighborhoods together. We have such wonderful neighborhoods that are like little villages that I think have their own personalities. And and this influx and increase in transportation has really helped the city to change visually as well as they're developing more ways to get around the city, the the buildings are changing, the neighborhoods are changing and, you know, and how people live and how people go outside of their neighborhood and some people don't. Right. So, but you're saying that it's easier for people to get out of their enclaves a little bit more because of public transportation and better roadways. Is that what you're saying? Lifestyle starts to change as soon as, you know, you start to develop more influx of population and then transportation starts tying everybody together. I feel like Toronto needed to grow up. I feel like we had this massive population explosion and we just didn't grow up. We didn't get out of our teenage years in Toronto architecturally and and sort of lifestyle-wise. And I feel in the last five, six years, because we've been on the international stage more, we really have started to grow up and become a more sophisticated city. And I think that's really what Louise was alluding to is that We're now making it more accessible. We're trying to make it uh, easier to get around, but there's more to do and more to see now. And I think that that lifestyle piece has really come into play in the city in the last five to six years. Great. Now, Colette, would you say that, that your clients have changed in that sense and become more worldly and sophisticated? I mean, I, you know, I, I work in residential and Mm -hmm. I'm fortunate to work at a pretty high level. So it's always been a pretty sophisticated clientele that I'm, you know, working with. I do think that they are, yes, increasingly willing to be risk takers. You know, they are the well-traveled set. One of the really spoiling things, in my opinion, about Toronto is how we live in houses right in the city. So it's really spoiling to have these incredible houses right in your urban life. And a lot of us even have a secondary country life. We're just spoiled rotten. But so they're they're really willing to invest a lot in the city home, not just in the country home. Right. 
And that was one of the things that amazed me the first time I went to Toronto was literally you could be downtown with the towers and hotels and everything. And like a five minute drive, you were like in some places beautiful as like Westchester, whereas in New York, you know, which is, of course, my point of view, to get to Westchester an hour away. And Toronto is 10 minutes away. And then there'd be beautiful neighborhoods and then woods, another five minutes away. I mean, it's incredible. The topography is really special. But I think that's probably being affected a bit by the density, the increased number of people. It is one of the hottest real estate markets in North America, definitely. So, Louise, have you noticed that, that change in terms of it's more expensive for your clients, more difficult for them to find beautiful homes? I mean, I'm sure there's waiting lists. Yeah, it's definitely more expensive. You know, over time, the properties have really increased in value. And but it is nice to see that in, you know, I'd say the last, you know, 10, 15 years, people have spent a lot more money on their houses where historically we would see them spend it on their U.S. properties or their Caribbean properties. And they wouldn't spend it so much on the city house, but they're spending a lot more money on the city house now. And it's really great to see because you can have a great lifestyle here. You can still have a big property or a very specific property that's to your needs, you know, and still have a tremendous lifestyle. So I think that's really good. And that has changed. That's increased, definitely. And Cynthia, what about with your clients? Do you find them being more open to, to new things or are they more design sophisticated, knowledgeable? I mean, you know, with the internet now and online, there's so much more information, so much more stuff for sale that people can be enticed by. Has that affected your clients? I would say my clients have changed quite a bit over the last 10 years. And I would say that of my clients who are aging out of their family home, we're seeing this desire to really stay in Toronto as well. So while they may be selling their family home, they actually are keeping a pied-à-terre here, which is the commitment to the city and the acknowledgement that if you leave the city's real estate market, it really is extremely difficult to get back in. And I think that they, I agree with what Colette said. My clients are extremely well-traveled. So there's often a lot of reference when we first meet to places they've been or hotels they've stayed in or markets that they've seen. They're much more internationally inspired, which I love because it means that we can pull from a, lar- a much larger resource base as opposed to needing to educate them which is what we used to do. You know, back in the day, we used to start with our own experiences and share those as to why we wanted to incorporate items into interiors. Today, our clients are much more sophisticated. Also, there's a much younger set coming in that are quite Mm -hmm. different. And my demographic used to be, you know, mid 40s, early 40s. And now we have, you know, a number of clients in their early 30s buying much more sophisticated real estate based on what industry they work in. And that's really changed having those conversations. They haven't sort of done the traditional route of the small starter home and then, you know, growing. They're in their early 30s and in much larger pieces of real estate. And that's quite a different client as well. It's interesting. But I want to get a sense also about your day-to-day practice, because, you know, I always think of Toronto as being so close. You know, Canada is our America's neighbor and our best trading partner. But apparently there's a lot of difficulties between 
of the U.S. and shipping and ordering. And like, for example, it, I, this surprised me because it never occurred to me this wasn't the case, but it's only recently that Cherish has been able to ship to Canada, mm-hmm. um, which is, of course, is a great thing for Cherish. And we're excited about that. But it never dawned to me on me that we couldn't, be, Cherish couldn't ship before. So I'd love to get a sense. Like, Louise, why don't we start with you? What are some of the issues? I mean, I know that the Canadian dollar versus the U.S. dollar is not the same exactly. Um, but what are some of the issues? Shipping, import duties. What frustrates you? All of it. All of it. Because it's not it's and it's not only shipping. It's depends on what the item is, because it might have to be crated. And if it's crated, then that's a whole other thing. Then there's another vendor involved because that has to go out for a crating quote. And then there's insurance on it. And then, you know, then there's duties and then there's ensuring that what we were dealing with just on a recent job, a bespoke lighting company in the U.S. And they're so small, they hadn't shipped to Canada. So just filling out the documentation, I think we were on the phone like four different times with them just to help them navigate uh, filling out the paperwork. But then it's it really is it's creating it's shipping, it's everything. So by the time you're done and you've you've ticked off every box and you know calculated all the percentages all the way down you know the client has to also navigate all of that as well and then sometimes the goods are held at the border or they're held by the holding facility that has to hold your items before they can get it off of a truck to go on to the hand delivery or the white glove delivery so that has been, I'd say, I don't know about the two of you, but that's been really, really challenging for us. We had a variety of shipments that had been sitting on a truck since April, May, and I just got them delivered three weeks ago. Well, there were a lot of pandemic-related delays, even yes. within the United States. I mean, I think, but it sounds like you guys had a different level of complication, I mean, Definitely. it's a little surprising considering what close allies we are. If this is the problems that you have with close allies, imagine if we weren't such friendly neighbors. Yeah, I can't imagine. Yeah. Because they, re- they, they honestly couldn't make it any more difficult. And I don't really, I don't understand why it is. I've done it for so long that I've got an amazing broker and, and an amazing girl on staff who, you know, knows how to navigate all that. Yeah, but it, it's challenging. And I can see where there's, you know, a lot of designers in Toronto who, who don't import a lot. But you have to, you know, our resources are are nowhere near at the level of, you know, big European or American cities. So, you know, to get the jobs, the you know, the client spaces to that next level, you, you just really have to persevere. And in terms of explaining all of that and dealing with duties, you know, for them, I I, I just try and remind them that even if you're buying in Toronto, you still are paying duty. It's just, it's right. already on the ticket. Right. right. So, right. yeah. Yeah. A designer I was talking to, another, different, another Canadian designer said one of the big frustrations for her was that her clients will see something advertised online or on a, on a website or whatever at a certain price. And then they're shocked when they can't get it for that price, that it's considerably more to have, to get it to Canada. So how do you deal with yeah. something like that, Cynthia? Is it... Because I have to say, I didn't understand this difference. And I, you know, I'm sure your clients don't. You know, I'm sure it's a shock to them. I think a lot of our clients are savvy enough from clothing shopping online and bringing things <laughs> in from the States that we're probably well-versed. The coffee table is also going to go through the exact same process as your sweater. So I think they understand. And I mean, we're often met on the doorstep here with, 
the delivery man with his automatic charging machine also in his hand, not just your parcel. So you have to sort of pay the piper before you get your box. So I don't think that it's as much a surprise when we talk about landed goods here, your lighting, your coffee table, your side table, whatever it may be. I think most people are understanding it is a little bit of of sticker shock, especially for things that are made in the Far East. They carry the highest duty, and that's where most of the lighting and the furniture is made that comes through the U.S. I think the paperwork becomes daunting for suppliers in the U.S., and I think that's why a lot of them choose not to participate in shipping to Canada, which I have to say when we shop in Europe – Europeans seem to be totally mystified that we can't make U.S.-Canada shipping work, but they can make it work from Europe. And I really think it comes down to the fact that they've been doing it much longer across borders and it's a bit more open. I had an an English retailer or supplier say to me uh, a couple of weeks ago, but they can drive their lorry right to your door. And I thought, well, yes, but not (laughs) through the border. (laughs) Yeah. Well, it is funny. I mean, as just as a visitor to Canada, it is, I always forget how tedious, how long a process can be. And, you know, you have to have a special pass to go to Canada. It's really kind of surprising. It's easier to go to Mexico. I mean, you do need a passport, but it's easier to go to Mexico almost than to go to Canada. Is that the Canadian government? Is the U.S. government? Well, you know, we're such good friends and allies. What's the problem here? (laughs) I feel like the, um, I mean, and I can only speak from my experience, but we're, uh, we're terrified of crossing the U.S. border. There's a lot of power and, yeah. um, you know, the ability to ban yeah. us. I mean, we all, all of us, I'm sure, know people who have been banned for five or eight years for the most ridiculous things when they get to the border. In fact, that includes my, you know, 80-year-old mother's friends who got banned from attending a crochet show in in Arizona for declaring the wrong thing, that I think that it becomes intimidating. And I think that there's an unwillingness sometimes to need to deal with the border. But for those of us in Colette, I totally agree with you. For it, It's a necessary step in order for your interiors to reach a certain level. You cannot simply depend on what is north of the 41st or 47th parallel. You just, you can't. You have to rely on the U.S. and you have to rely on Europe. So part of being a, an interior designer at this level is understanding international shipping, full stop. Yeah. And Louise, do you feel the same frustration? Oh, yeah. We import a lot. And it is very frustrating the amount of time that you have to dedicate to someone on your staff who's just doing that constantly. It's a lot. And then yourself as well, because you have to get pulled in on certain things, especially, you know, when it's involving how are they getting it here? If the shipment is too large, then they'll, they'll start asking you a lot of questions. You know, are we creating it? Are we flying it? Are we going by boat. It's a big, huge process. It's really time consuming. Wow. So this would lead me to think that you guys actually prefer to work outside of Canada. Colette, I know you do a lot of international and U.S. stuff as well. Is it easier for you? I mean, how frustrating is that that it's easier to work outside of your home city? 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, I try not to think about it truthfully. <laughs> so I guess denial that just is a says, very powerful force. I guess you know? that speaks volumes. Um, <laughs> yes, but like every good creative, I can just sort right. of dissociate and pretend right. that everything's great. Right. Um, so yeah, I suppose to, if you're, if I'm honest, it is easier. There's something really special about doing the work that I do in Toronto. I, I mean, I've had tears. I've had. I don't know. There's just a level of gratitude because there's not a lot of my kind of work in Toronto. And so in that respect, it is really rewarding. So I don't mind. I, you know, I don't, right. I've done yeah. it long enough. I, guess you got I have used a wonderful team. I sort of don't mind the hassle. Right. I think that you do just accept all of the difficulties of shipping and the time that it takes as part of your business. It certainly is part of every high-end interior design firm somebody will be the goddess of shipping on your staff who love a good problem and solving it. At the same time, when you work elsewhere in the States, or I I did a lot of work in the Bahamas before the pandemic, it's like magic how the shipping happens in the States. It really is unbelievably easy and it is wonderful. But we're not the only ones that suffer with difficulties of getting things in. I mean, I do know that when I worked, you know, in the Bahamas, you would have everything consolidated and think you had every little box ticked and you were good to go. And then you would open, you know, the container would arrive on the barge whenever it got there and, you know, you'd open it up and you'd be missing half your stuff. And I think that it's just one of those things that shipping is difficult, period, And it has to be built into every project and the time allotment and the cost for doing so is part of the entire budget. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yet, I have to say, on my visits to Toronto, I have seen some of the most beautiful houses I've seen anywhere. So you guys clearly can make it work and clearly... Your your <laughs> clients, <laughs> yeah, you pat yourselves all on the back. Your clients obviously have faith in you. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit, maybe we'll start with you, Louise, about how your clients live indoor, outdoor, you know, because it, they, you know, a lot of the houses have beautiful gardens and surroundings. Yeah, I think definitely, you know, one thing that's really increased for us is is outdoor furniture. I think a lot of our clients really we make the home more of a sanctuary for them so that all the way around, they're living really nicely inside and outside as well. And some of them will have indoor pools and outdoor pools, both, you know, and so you're having to finish off areas for all the way around. And I think we have a pretty good growing season now too. We have really beautiful warm summers and we have cold winters, but that comes with its beauty as well. Right. And so I think it's, I think it's a really just a very nice way to live here because you get the benefit of all the seasons and so you get to take advantage of all of that that comes with it. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I hope you're enjoying our podcast. My name is Anna Brockway and I'm the co-founder and president of Cherish. If you're a designer who's struggling with long lead times from suppliers and increasingly impatient clients, now is the time to shop with us. Our vintage antique and one-of-a-kind inventory is ready to ship right now. To learn more, visit Cherish.com. That's C-H-A-I-R-I-S-H.com. And now back to the show. And Colette, what about your clients? I, I seems to me that, at least in the U.S., and I would imagine this is true in Canada too, that 
people are more interested in being involved with the outdoors rather than just sitting on a chair and looking at it. Is that, if you found that to be true? Oh, yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, I think that was always the case to some degree. And there's, I mean, there's just so many different sort of lifestyles in Toronto. There's a lot of people that travel a lot. There's a lot of people that have cottages. Some of those actually decamp for the entire summer. And then there's others, like Louise was saying, who are more urban-centric, young families. They might have indoor-outdoor pools, and actually their outdoor space is really important and integral to their lifestyle. So I think it's all over the map. I know. We're making generalities here, obviously, you know. But (laughs) I mean, you know. But definitely, you know, but definitely like everywhere, COVID changed everything Mm -hmm. and it did Mm -hmm. definitely make people refocus on outdoors. And there's Mm -hmm. been so many incredible advances in the way we're doing fireplaces and outdoor kitchens are bananas, just like Mm -hmm. they've become in the the U.S. Mm -hmm. So that's all, I would say that's all the same for Toronto. Right. Yeah. And I feel too that because our winters can be really cold, that the second that there's a whiff of spring in the air, everybody gets their furniture out outside and they're, everyone's outside. There's this compulsion to get outside that we're, we're going to have summer and spring. And so I think that the importance of our outdoor spaces have, are a little bit elevated because we have to survive our winter every year, which while it's getting shorter and not nearly as cold or snowy as it used to be, I still will tell people not to visit come the middle second week of January until the 1st of March. Those are the worst weeks. So knowing that in April when the sun is out and it's not as cold, I mean, we'll sit outside fully bundled up just to be outside. <laughs> it's very Parisian. You know, you want to sit in a cafe very, where you're bundled up, so. right? Very Parisian. I don't know how chic any of us look in April, but we do try. <laughs> I have no, pro- I have no problems imagining that, Cynthia. I imagine you're very chic. <laughs> no, it always surprises me in New York City. Like the first warm day in April, people will be out in shorts, and I'm thinking, where did they store those shorts? How did they have them so handy? You know, I put away all my summer clothes, but they have them out in a moment's notice. I mean, it's sixty yep. degrees and a bit of sun. They're out on the street. Yeah. So I'd love to get a sense of. I mean, obviously, again, we're talking generalities and there's specific neighborhoods that have a specific look, but I'd love to get a sense from each of you what you think is the most popular style look at the moment in Toronto. What are your clients looking at? Where are they finding inspiration? Where are you finding inspiration? What do they want to see in their home? And Cynthia, obviously your clients want more color because you are not shy with the color, which we love. no. But interestingly, our conversations are changing. Our conversations with new clients used to start with, we love you, we love what you do, but we don't want all of that for our home. And they want a pared down version. And I will say in the last 18 months, that conversation is changing. It is not so much, we love you, we want to work with you, but we don't want what you do. It's now, we want to work with you and bring everything you've got. I feel like people are suddenly taking a more bold step into embracing color and pattern, which I knew that our time would come at some point. Um, but I <laughs> very flattering, feel, Cynthia. I know. I feel like sometimes I feel like now they are embracing more color. We're seeing a lot more green kitchens and reds coming into interiors and yellows coming into interiors which I think if any of us had said that that would happen 10 years ago, we would have said it's going to be beige and gray forever. So I feel like there is more personality coming 
now, which I don't know if that's because everyone spent so much time at home for the last three years that they want to liven things up, or if it's because they are coming to a certain point in their lives where they don't want things to be as safe anymore. They don't need it to be as kid-proof that our clients now, their kids are getting older and they're realizing that they can incorporate more pattern and take more risks, or if it's just because people have become more self-assured with interior design. They, you know, HGTV has been around long they enough now more. that everybody's yeah. feeling a little bit braver and a little more educated, and that certainly is changing our conversations. Is that true for you, Louise? Yeah, and also, uh, I, I think they just see a lot more, but also a lot more relaxed elegance. You know, they're yeah. not so uptight about the dining mm-hmm. room has to be a traditional dining room. I don't know if the two of you yeah. see that as well, but... You know, they want the living room or living, hangout, whatever they want to call it. Not everyone likes to even call it a living room anymore. They like to see it as a place where you can sit and feel good in, but it doesn't have to be so uh, static or stagnant. It, It can have a variety of sitting areas in it or a variety of vistas. And the dining room certainly isn't necessarily a dining room any longer. It's it's a library it's a hangout space. It's a hallway. Even in some of these huge houses that we're working on, like that are 20,000 square feet, the dining room isn't necessarily a traditional or typical dining room. And then you're doing multiple floor plans for the client that will give them the options on how the room can be set up for a variety of different entertaining modes. So you actually produce a book for them and say, you know, you have 10 different scenarios on how this room can be set up for whatever function you're having. Right. And, you know, it struck me that Toronto, maybe it's the, you know, the English connection or the tradition of the English style, but it's always have seemed to me it's a very gracious city. Colette, do you find that your clients are, look to that, are still looking for sort of, I don't know, I'm trying to think of a better word. They want to live stylishly. Elegantly. Elegantly, yes, exactly. But- Without the stuffiness, as Louise was saying, is, is yes. that true for your? No, clients? I think absolutely. I mean, I I agree with everything Louise and Cynthia said. In my experience in Toronto, like people are looking for ways to, yeah, utilize all their space. Lifestyle in general has become a little more casual, depending on the client. But I always say jeans to ball gowns. I'd like to be comfortable in one of my rooms in any of those scenarios, you know, so if I'm kicking back with my laptop, well, really the client's kicking back with their laptop, or if they're having, you know, a very formal charity event, it needs to work for all Mm -hmm. scenarios. And there is a lot of at-home charity that goes on in Toronto, actually. A lot. A lot. A lot. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of entertaining. A lot. So that's fantastic. I think the days where we used to have our grandmother's vacuum marks on the living room broadloom and you weren't allowed to step <laughs> on it, I think that those are gone. I think that, um, yeah, I miss yeah. my shag rake. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we even have clients who will say, you know, we have this living room and we never go into it and we don't use it except for, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas. Could you make it more approachable so we'll want to live in it? 
And um, there's a lot of that that we do is, you know, we have space, but we want to make more use of all the space we have, whether their house is large or in the city where they tend to be a little bit smaller. We have a lot of those conversations. You know, we have this room, it's 13 by 10 and we never go in it. Can you make it so that we'll go in it? What do we need? How do we make that happen? And I think those conversations are great because there was a time in my practice 20 years ago where you might walk into a newly purchased home by a client and they would say, we've been here a year and we don't have a lick of furniture in this room because we don't know what to do with it. Where now people are really understanding and are grateful for the space they have and they want to use it all the time, not mm-hmm. just when family's over. One of the things that interests me about Toronto is you know, this huge success that it's had in terms of population increase that we were talking about. So, but with success comes problems. And I would Mm -hmm. love to get a sense from each of you, like what you think the problems in the city are now and how you can help your clients cope with those. So Colette, why don't we start with you? (laughs) Um, huh. I, I mean, I don't actually know how to answer that because I don't feel we, I mean, we ha, we definitely have problems as a city and mm-hmm. architecturally and developmentally, we have some serious problems. Such um, as? Things are happening. Things are happening too fast. Things are mm-hmm. happening too, uh, at too low of an economic level. That's really a politically charged thing to say, mm-hmm. but we are not investing in quality architecture, um, yeah. quality design. Mm-hmm. This is something frequently discussed by we we have world-class architects that's Mm -hmm, not the issue but we're not investing in those kind of buildings at home totally residentially i i don't think we do have problems we're i think we're just actually so lucky we have beautiful houses and apartments where you can live right in the city and we also still have a decent balance of historical properties versus the ability to to build new, if that's what you're looking for. That's going to change down the road, but we still have... Um, so there's not so many regulations pretty... that that would pr- curtail your, your vision if you wanted to build something new. Not compared to other cities. And right. I mean, even going back to, you know, the cost of of importing and some of the things we were talking about, that's all very true. And it's true that the cost of real estate has, you know, doubled in the city, but Still, if you look at the cost of living in New York, in London, we are still pretty spoiled. (laughs) Right, right. Exactly. You're not, I don't think the cost of living, you're even in the top 10, Toronto, which is, and the size of it is so special too. It's big enough, but it's not too big. It's, it's, you know, so. That's just it. it. It's the Goldilocks standard, you know, you, you kind of fit, (laughs) fit that, you know. We're um, mama bear. Right. Mm-hmm. So Cynthia, what do you think? What do you what do you what is there something that worries you about the city that you see that you can see developing or a direction that you're of, you're a little worried about? I think one of the things that I really struggle with is the fact that I don't feel and I don't know that it's unique to Toronto. In fact, I don't think that it is, but I find that we're not valuing our trades enough in that we're not bringing up the next generation in craftsmanship. And I wish that weren't, I wish that were different. I, it's such a problem. And, you know, now that I have been in the industry for more than 25 years, some of my trades have been with me for that long and their kids aren't coming up in the trade. 
And we have such a huge demand for all of our trades and all of the gifts and the talents that they have that I do worry about who we're going to be using for lacquering in another 15 years or making that incredible turned leg for a table we've designed here. I do worry about the demand and the strain on the trades and the fact that the next generation truly is not understanding either how much money they can make as a trade or valuing the gifts of that. And I know that's not just in Toronto, but I think with our demand in the architectural and interior design field and the the financial wealth in that area, we are finding ourselves very strained as far as being able to get enough suppliers. That is so interesting because I can tell you this is not just a Toronto or Canadian issue. This is the third podcast that this topic has come up. There you go. The third one, just within the last six weeks. So definitely there's an issue there. We're not respecting and training enough artisans. And, you know, and and I've said it too. Partly education with that too. The schools, the schools are not valuing it and pushing it. Like a lot of European schools that right from the beginning of high school, you can be streamlined into that kind of education but yet at the end of high school you still have a choice continue as a trade and do your journeyman papers or you can go on to doing university and I think that's a brilliant way of um, allowing people to still learn and still uh, develop a skill to move no, on it's interesting it. because, you know, our culture, I mean, it's a cultural thing, too. I don't. I would imagine this is true in Canada, but certainly in the United States, everybody's stressed. Oh, you need to go to college. You need to, you're not going to get a job if you don't go to college. And many people don't either want to go to college, they're not suited for college, and they end up going and then have huge student debt, and then they can't really find jobs mm-hmm. or they're not happy in Look, the jobs they have. Yep. You know? Our university grads are working at Starbucks, and my roofer's making... 200 grand a year. Yeah. I've got to tell you, some of the most unbelievably talented and smart individuals that I work with are my yeah. trades. I mean, totally right. yeah. off the chart. And right. I feel totally. that the schools are the ones who are truly doing the disservice. That if you said you could be a small business owner and making yeah. six figures, running your own game by 25, there would be way more people signing up to, be, to learn a trade. Mm-hmm. And also, it's like you said, I think there's too much snobbery that people who yeah. work with their hands are not smart. And that is yeah. so misguided um, and stupid. Yeah. So unfair. And, and it, it just diminishes our society, that attitude. It totally does. You know? Totally does. Yeah. Where in Europe, yeah. you're revered, right? You're a tradesman, right. you know how to work with marble, you know, it, it's understood and you're special and you're held up on a pedestal. And I think we miss that in North America. And it's so tragic. It really is for so many reasons, but the arts would be in such a better place if we actually cherished those jobs rather than treated them like we do. Right, right. So to get back to a Toronto-specific topic, because the artisans and craftsmen thing is a big international issue, but certainly a North American issue. I wanted to get a sense from each of you, what's one of the reasons that you love the city the most? Why have you stayed there? Why have you... You know, despite the shipping issues, despite the duties, despite the, the you know, Canadian dollar, U.S. dollar transitions you have to make, why have you stayed in Toronto? Obviously, if it's your hometown, it's hard to leave, but people do leave their hometowns. So, Louise, why don't we start with you? What is it that you really love about Toronto? 
Well, you know, I we think want to inspire can, more people to come and yeah, make I think, less room I th- for you. I think you can have really a, still a really beautiful life here. You really can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we have great restaurants. We have great universities, colleges, art colleges. We do have really good labor pool that people are really talented. And I think that, you know, you can have a fair life too. You can walk the streets. You can go and see, you know, beautiful art galleries and be inspired and you know, and I think there's a lot of wonderful attributes, you know, to just our, our individual neighborhoods. But I think that we have all the seasons we have. It's just a lovely place to live. And I think that once you start looking at other places in the world, and there's a lot of places that you could live and call home and say, oh, yeah, I, I, I would love that. I mean, you know, also where your heart is, is, you know, your family as well. Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. We, we do have a really good quantity of people who are really talented here really talented Cynthia what about you what's one of your favorite things to do what's one of something you love about the city I think for me it's the energy in the city I think that there's just this feeling of there's so much going on and you've got to tap into it and it's about opportunity here I feel that the business sector here is so alive and it's it's so international that you truly, I get a buzz thinking about all the opportunity here and all the different people and the different industries and the connectivity and the networking here. I love, I will walk into a dinner or walk into an, a, you know, an industry event and think, oh, who am I going to meet? Who, who am I going to connect with? And I feel that that vibrancy is something that is really attractive here. I know I've spent a lot of time in Nova Scotia and I absolutely love it there. But I often wonder when I think about staying that I would probably withdraw from all of the energy that I have in Toronto here. And there's just something about getting things done and that there's just that big city feel with the kindness and the politeness that is truly Canadian. And although a lot of us will say that some of that has disappeared over the last decade, it's still inherently there. We still want to behave in a way that is polite and respectful to others. So there's just, it's nice to live here. It truly is nice to live here. And if you don't like it here, you can drive 45 minutes out of the city and be in the country and be at a charming flea market or be on a lake or be across the border going to the States. It's just so accessible to such different types of lifestyle that if you get bored here, it's your own fault. Mm-hmm. And Colette, anything you want to add to that? That's something an aspect of the city that you particularly love? Yeah, I really love our, I really love our um, residential districts. I love the house that I live in. Like, I just really, really appreciate having that right in the city itself. And I kind of love that we're, it is really unique. And I I kind of love that we're an aspirational city. Mm -hmm. Um, We aren't New York and we're not Paris and we may or may not ever be but we are what we are and we're kind of the cool young kid. First time I brought Nikki Haslam to the city, he just fell in love with it. He was like, this was like, this is what New York was like in the sixties. Like this is where it's at. You guys are where it's at. This is, you know, up and coming and it, and it, and that has its own energy. So 
I think we have a, a good balance of, as Cynthia said, like great energy and not too much. And you can get out to the Lake District when you need to. So, yeah. Right. And, and we're good. surrounded by water. So it creates so other kinds of lifestyle and mm-hmm. living opportunities, right? Because we have skiing, we have water, we have all the seasons. So you know, we're kind of like in a perfect situation in a lot of ways. I, I think all three of you should be hired by the Chamber of Commerce. <laughs> <laughs> I think you have I'm totally inspired, available. <laughs> I, think, I think you have inspired many young designers to think about, oh, maybe Toronto would be the great place. Hopefully, you'll be able to hi- hire young staffers now. You'll have a bigger pool of yeah. staffers because mm-hmm. I think you, the three of you have been very inspiring about what's wonderful about Toronto, despite the frustrations we were talking about, because clearly... You all have to deal with those, but it seems to be worth it. So I can see now, I have a much better understanding now about why Toronto is as hot a destination as it is, as hot, as why it's become so popular for a popular choice for people to move there. And the, I think the, just you, the work of the three of you alone, never mind the larger Toronto design scene, shows how much talent is in the city. So I really appreciate all of you for being here. Colette Vanden Thillard, Cynthia Ferguson, and Louise McDonald, my wonderful guests. And thank everyone for listening to the Cherish Podcast. You've been listening to the Cherish Podcast, brought to you, of course, by Cherish, which was recently voted by the readers of USA Today as the best place to shop online for furniture and home decor. If you enjoyed this episode, please tell a friend or colleague. Or better yet, go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a review. We appreciate your help in spreading the word. And we would love your ideas for future episodes. Please email us at podcast at cherish.com. The Cherish Podcast is produced by Britta Muller and engineered by Hanger Studios in New York. Until next time.